welcome to Life and Inside Job. I'm Kate and today I'm talking about perimenopause with Charlotte Ellison and Charlotte is just a sweet breath of fresh air. She's known as mood swings and other things on Instagram and she describes herself as a 40-something mother of two who's kind at heart and potty of mouth and oh her posts are just so funny and real and she documents her experience of perimenopause day by day on Instagram with so much humour and humility and just so totally real. I was delighted that she agreed to chat with me. Uh, we talk wobbles, we talk about cracking up, self-help, HRT, the changes that she made to get a grip on her hormones, being a, good, a great role model about girls' education and Miriam Stoppard. We started by reflecting on how there's now a growing community of menopause information on social media. A lot of what is shared in sort of menopause circles is a bit cringy and a bit contrived. Yeah, I know what you mean, actually. Do you know what? I think it I'm noticing that more and more. It was interesting that post that you put up yesterday with regards to the, um, was it shampoo or something like that? And it had menopause on the, you know, and I just, yeah, contrived is a really good word because I just think it's becoming sort of hot topic, big business kind of jump on board, isn't it? You know, and um, and yet actually when you read a lot of what's out there, you know, it's, it's all the same but I think that's one thing that perimenopause menopause very definitely is not is it's not all the same you know it's a very unique and individual thing for every single person there'll be elements of everybody's experience I think that we can all relate to or draw from um but it's not a one-size-fits-all process is it I mean it's something that every woman will experience but I just think it's very unique in itself Mm, absolutely would you mind saying a bit about what your experience has been like and where you're at with it and everything so I um I didn't know you know in at the risk of sounding really ignorant I suppose but then I'm going to rewind to almost seven years ago the term perimenopause did not exist then as far as I was concerned you know what I mean it wasn't a phrase I was familiar with and I think my um views on menopause were very kind of like grey-haired little ladies you know that suddenly you know all the change and it's all hot flushes and and that's it that's as much as I kind of you know all right I knew all the factual stuff like your period stop and obviously that's the end of it in terms of being able to conceive a child or anything like that but that was as far as I'd ever considered it or sort of really been taught about it. And my mum had a very lovely Miriam Stoppard book on the bookcase that was about menopause that, you know, consisted of Miriam in a leotard doing sort of lots of low impact kind of um, yoga and stuff, you know. And I mean, I'd flick through this book. Miriam on Stoppard. Miriam Where, Stoppard. where, where is she now? The original fly in the flag for menopause, Miriam yeah, Stop. Thank you. Um, oh. um, yeah, I don't know what my mum, what happened to that book actually, but that was kind of where, yeah, that was the limit, the extent of my um, my knowledge and my thoughts on on menopause. And I think really for me, certainly, it's been a case of joining my own dots. I think sadly um I say six or seven years ago nearly seven years ago now I had a really big hormonal episode where I experienced right out of the blue some really awful intrusive thoughts um for a short period they kind of put me in a bit of a tailspin because I genuinely just thought I was losing my mind I thought I was going mad um I really didn't have a clue what was happening you know other than the fact that it just paralyzed me with kind of fear really Mm. um and and just confusion because I just I I just you know as someone that sort of has always been very proud of the fact that I like to be in control which is probably a part of the problem in some respects but yeah I've always you know been been a fixer I'm a doer I think somebody else on Instagram used the phrase rescuer the other day and that's me as well you know I I put problems I don't mind problems I like problems because they're tangible so you can fix them you know 
And the issue with this was that it just scared the shit out of me because mm. I was seeing awful images and there was, I say voices, but it was basically every time I was looking at my kids, there was something in my head that was just like, soak this up, it's going to be the last time. You're not going to, you're not going to get to enjoy this for, for much longer, you know, and it was so real, so real. I you know, I can't, I can't describe it any more than that, but it was just horrific and I didn't get it at all. And I was just, you know, what the hell's going on? And um, what, what when else I, was going on in your life at that time? Do you know what? At that point, I think hormonally, I'd perhaps potentially been a bit out of whack since I had my second daughter. So my second child was born when I was 33. And I think I'd had a really, you know, uh, the luxury of being a stay at home mum. Do you know what I mean? So that was the ironic thing about this. At that point in my life, you know, didn't really have any financial worries, wasn't having to go out to work, you know, but I was busy because I'd kind of started a little business with a friend of mine and it was Christmas time and it was a busy time of year. And I was sort of chasing my tail a bit in that respect. But again, can I, can I just say that? Yeah. Okay, that in from a conventional viewpoint, your life might have looked very, you know, privileged and, and yeah, because you didn't have to work. But nevertheless, for a busy working problem who likes to fix stuff, being yeah. a stay-at-home mum is <laughs> is a is a kettle of snakes. Yeah. Well, I think possibly. See, you're right, and yet I didn't see that. I didn't see it coming. Do you know what I mean? I don't know. Possibly you're right. Um, and it just, it, it was a really, it just kind of, yeah, I don't, hormonally at that point, I'd been in and out of the doctors between when my second daughter was born and turning 40 on probably at least three occasions to say, I don't know what's wrong with me. You know, I sat in front of the doctor and just said, I don't get why I feel okay one day and not okay the next, you know, because there's nothing really awful in my life. And I don't get it. And there was just never any conversation. All they ever really wanted to do was push antidepressants at me. And every time I came out of there, I kind of had the prescription in my hand. And I'd just sort of look at it on my way back to the car and think, oh, do you know what? I feel better for getting that off my chest. But I never, ever took the prescription to the pharmacy, you know. And I just kind of got over it until the next time. Um, and then when this episode, if you like, I call it a wobble, but when that happened just before I turned 40, um, yes, I was really busy. Yes, my diet was probably a bit up the creek, but, you know, stress hormones and things I think had come into play, but I didn't really recognise that. I wasn't really understanding it. So I perhaps wasn't managing it in a mindful way, you know, that I know now I need to do. Um and so, yeah, when that happened and it was over Christmas and we were away and it was horrible and I just felt so destabilised for the entire period. It was because I was trying to hide it from everybody and I just thought if I try and explain this to any of them, they're just going to think I'm nuts, you know, and I I couldn't rationalise it myself. So it's very difficult to, you know, as anybody that's ever experienced panic knows, to kind of try and squash a panic attack and in fact it's the worst thing that you can do but I didn't recognize it as a panic attack at the time I just I jumped on the anxiety um roller coaster and you know away it went and um yeah I went to the doctors on New Year's Eve when we got home and sobbed literally sobbed and again there was no conversation there was no mention of you know do you think this could be hormonal or this is linked to your cycle or where you at in your cycle it was just okay I think you need to take these now and over the table came another prescription and so I went away and I cashed the prescription because that's how bad I felt um and I took them for about two weeks I think in the end because but they just made me feel 100 times worse and I think it was about 10 days in when I was sick of not sleeping and I just felt like my mind was racing and my chest was beating like out of my my heart was beating out of my chest rather I just thought no I've got to do something about this you know and that's literally where Google became my friend and I just you know, I started to join my own dots and it was a bit of a lengthy process. And, you know, immediately to me, it became very apparent that it was a hormonal thing, but I still didn't really understand that. 
And then I stumbled across some information with regards to PMDD. And I thought, oh, I tick, I tick a lot of boxes with regards to that. And there was a really helpful article that I read that was written by a guy called Professor John Studd. And it's quite an old study or article now, I think. You know, he's 20 years old, I think, but it talks very much specifically about, you know, women's hormones and this sort of, you know, what's happening as we age and the decline and how that can have a bearing on sort of, you know, all of these various different symptoms that I was experiencing. Um, and that kind of, you know, just sort of alleviated a little bit of the fear. And also at the same time, I was put in touch with my amazing homeopath who I just I could kiss the ground she walked on because what she gave me was time. And I think that's what the NHS is sadly lacking, you know, because she gave me time. She explained to me in very straightforward, easy to understand terms, exactly how all of the different systems in your body are linked. Um, and she likened it to an orchestra. I love that analogy because she just sort of said, it's, you know, it's like you've got an orchestra, but if your string section's not playing to time, then it, everything sounds crap, you know, because one section's out. And um, she just, yeah, I, you know, it was like part homeopathy, part counselling, part therapy. She was worth every penny that I spent on her. And she just sort of said, I can, you know, I can help you. I'm fairly confident I can sort of help you to feel better, but it's not going to be a quick thing, you know. And, and that's where I kind of started, really. So she, yeah, gave me a homeopathic remedy and then it was a very long process of kind of learning and looking at things like my diet and lifestyle and exercise and all of those sort of pillars and how they fit together in terms of, you know, hormonally where you're at and the impact that each one of those areas can have on your hormones and, you know, how to kind of try and optimise all of that, I suppose, so that you kind of feel better. Um, so what yeah. sort of changes did you make to your lifestyle and diet and stuff Can you, you know remember? what yeah in the beginning I was completely it was over the top and I'm really you know I'm very grateful for the experience because I learned a lot as a result of it but looking back now it wasn't healthy because I think I was coming out of a period where I'd been in the grip of really deep anxiety and I think that in itself is quite dangerous because one of the first things I did was I got very militant about food and I was like, right, okay, diet is a key thing here. I'm going to kick out sugar because I'd always had a very sweet tooth up until that point. And I kind of demonized sugar and just stripped it out of my diet completely. And I think the dangerous thing there was that for a short period of time, you know, I'd go do the food shopping and I'd absolutely obsess over the sugar content in, in anything that I bought, you know, anything that was prepackaged or processed. If I even so much as ate a chocolate button, or put a piece of cake in my mouth I'd have hideous guilt and anxiety afterwards because my brain was going that's going to give you cancer that's going to give you this that's going to make your mood swings worse you know and it, those voices in your head you know quite powerful at times and it was really quite dangerous because I dropped about a stone in weight and I mean that took me to an unhealthy level because I was probably somewhere between seven and a half and eight stone and it just eventually I think after a period of time I would say it probably took almost a year I got to a period where I was like no 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 this is not right and actually in my head I was a lot more comfortable with the idea of a little bit of everything does you good you know deprivation doesn't work on any level and where is the fun in life if you cannot have a bit of cake and enjoy it you know it's miserable it's a miserable existence I'm never going to advocate you know leaving all of that stuff out of your diet completely it was you know it was something I did I'm glad that I did it because I learned from it but it's not a healthy way to live at all I don't think so yeah that was a big change in the beginning I think definitely diet what I ate and I cut alcohol out completely I've got zero tolerance for alcohol because that seemed to be a big one as well which is another yeah you know it's like god all the fun stuff, you know, cull all of the fun stuff. Why don't you? But I couldn't handle it. It wrecked havoc with my sleep. It left me in a really shitty mood, um, you know, and the hangovers were atrocious, you know, and you just think I can't function like I did in my 20s now. So actually it was easier for me to just knock it on the head, you know. Um, but that's not to say that I don't ever have a drink now, you know, because I do, but I'm just more mindful of how it how it might play out in how I feel. 
Yeah, I think I think that a lot of anxiety gets played out in food choices. I see that I see that a lot in clients and people around me. And it's really I find it really hard because I find it really hard to know how to intervene in a helpful way. Because on one level I feel that some often the anxiety just has to play out. Like, mm-hmm. like you say, you just have to move through this kind of really rigid control until you can get a bit of uh, perspective. I think you're absolutely right, because I think the bottom line with that kind of anxiety is it's actually got sort of all to do with food. It's yeah. to do with control. You hit the mm-hmm. you know, you hit the nail on the head with that word. It's control. It's about being able to control something when you don't feel you can control other things, isn't it? And I think food... Yeah is a very obvious one that you can take control of, you know, mm. in some respects. But then it's interesting that other people, some people will go the other way and they kind of medicate with it almost, you know. So, yeah, yeah it's a very, it's a personal thing, I suppose. Yeah. But for me, it was very much fueled by this kind of, you know, these anxieties that I'd allowed to kind of get going in my head around, you know, well, this is going to make you sick. That's going to make you unwell. You know, I'd got on a massive sort of role about I developed really irrational fear of cancer really you know I just thought everything's going to give me cancer you know if I have too much sugar it's going to give me cancer if I drink too much wine I'm going to get cancer you know I couldn't look at the word in a newspaper without all of those Mm. physiological responses kicking off I couldn't I stopped watching all the soap operas because everybody you know each one of them had at least one person in them that was sick or dying or unwell or ill and my head was just going that'd be you in a few years you know that'd be you it's it's horrendous it was hideous you know it was not a nice place to be for a while but I do I learned so much about the anxiety cycle and how that works at the time that you know in many respects it was an invaluable experience and I consider myself sort of a bit more enlightened for it because I would never have learned that from from a doctor or from so can you can you say a bit about the anxiety cycle because there'll be many people listening who experience similar stuff going on for them I think well I mean to simplify it I suppose it's just about you know your thoughts drive your feelings and your feelings drive your thoughts and it's just it's like a little wheel you know it's a hamster wheel that it's very difficult to get off and I mean it's you know, it can be triggered or stimulated by something so, well, for me, so let's say, for example, the word cancer. But if you've been in an anxious state at some point and been experiencing sort of all the anxiety symptoms of kind of, you know, racing heart and feeling jittery, sweaty, unable to relax, um, you know, unable to focus, concentrate, all of those kind of things, you know, our body and our brain is very clever. It remembers, you know, and then triggers all all that has to happen is for you to see that you know and for me it was that word or it was hearing some yeah it was that word because it was reading it or hearing somebody say it but for other people it could be something completely different you know it could be a place it could be a person it could be you know a certain time in the day but um and that's what happens that that you know that trigger triggers that sort of physiological response in our body and then what that tends to do is drive more worry and more anxiety because then you're like oh my god there's something really wrong with me now because my heart's beating out my chest and I can't focus and I can't sit still and I'm sweating and oh my god I feel mad I'm losing my mind I'm going crazy you know and then they just get off on one another you know and it's a horrendous kind of chemical that just sort of does its worst on your body and kind of your brain is just sort of a little bit powerless unless you can kind of step in and and kind of go enough now you know so how did you how did you do that how did you step in and say enough now um two things I think which were really important number one I came across a guy called Charles Linden who um at the time had written a book and was promoting a program called the Linden Method and um, without wishing to obviously give too much away about what he does, um, the basic premise of what he talks about is um, distraction. It's that simple. Pack your day from the minute you get up to the minute you go to bed with stuff, things to do, be around okay. people, things to focus on, you know, literally plan your day out into chunks where you're busy the whole time. So your brain doesn't have time to wander. So 
whilst I struggled to engage with that initially, learning that really gave me something in terms of it took away all the fear because then I then at that point it was like a light bulb went off because I was like this really isn't me this is what's going on in my brain I can separate this process in my brain from me and around the same time I read The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle and I mean that book really spoke to me because that was all about separating you know I mean I think Steve Peters did The Chimp Paradox it's very similar you know it's kind of just two different perspectives I suppose but it's all about separating the ego the monkey mind from kind of who you are um, and I mean Deepak Chopra does some excellent sort of podcasts and stuff on on that and it, it's all a bit deep on a level but also to me it made absolute sense and it really freed me a little bit from sort of the chaos that was going on in my mind um, but the other thing I did was I went back to work because I the distraction and the focus and actually okay. that worked you know mm. because around other people and I was doing and I was involved in what I was doing and I had to think about what I was doing and and that actually made a big difference I think mm. I had too much time on my hands before that I was at home for a great deal of time on my own which to some people I'm sure sounds lovely and wonderful and I look back now and still think oh god what I'd give for a week at home on my own but I think for me it, it just it wasn't a good combination at that time in my life you know when, as I say, I'd, you know, clearly sort of become susceptible to these hormonal episodes and this anxiety, spending time on my own like that was a bit detrimental for me, I think. Oh, and what is your work? Can you say a bit about that? I work in a secondary school. Um, support, <laughs> you don't laugh, okay? But I work in safeguarding and child protection and I support students with their own mental health, low-level mental health concerns in school. So, um, yeah, it's it's a very nurturing kind of a role. It can be very busy. It's very emotionally draining at times. Um, but, you know, there's nothing better than to take you away from your own issues and worries if you like than to focus on other people's and also it puts a great deal into perspective do you know what I mean it's kind of yeah but I think by the time I went back to work I'd already got clear in my own head that this wasn't something I was doing to myself necessarily mm -hmm. that this wasn't something that I was unwell with it's just something that happens when the chemical cocktail within your brain and your body gets a little bit out of whack and a bit out of balance and you either you know manage that or you don't and if you don't manage it if you don't listen to these kind of subtle signals that your body's trying to send you you know then obviously it becomes more of an issue and it, it you know it the impact is bigger I suppose in in terms of how it affects you in your life. Mm. If you could look back to your forty-year-old self, mm. what, what, or like late thirties when you were really, or forty when you were really freaking out, what would you say? What could you say oh, to God, yourself now? That, that's a really big question. Yeah, I, I know. Really, I like a big question. <laughs> I've never given that consideration. You know, I don't know. That's really, really. Yeah. See, this is where my mental brain will just be like, I can't answer that because because. <laughs> thought and I can't you know I've got to think of something like you know rather than recalling old stuff which I'm brilliant at um I don't know you know it's really to to to, to keep it simple I suppose it would just be a case of you know you're going to be all right you'll be fine but I think initially I didn't have that you know that's what I felt quite angry for a long time the doctor should have given me it's just this is normal you yeah. know normal actually that's what I wish I'd known you know maybe not normal in the sense of obviously you know if you're unbalanced hormonally then there are things that can be done to sort of readjust that balance so that the balance in commas if you like is normal but um yeah just normal in terms of you're not going mad you're not losing your mind you know nothing really seriously awful is at work here this is just your hormones up the creek and that can be fixed if you want it to be you know mm. Yeah. And do, do you take HRT? What's your chosen um, medication now? No, I'm still, I'm still, 
do you know what? One of the things that I bless the lovely Instagram community for is the amount I've learned about HRT. And I'm surrounded by such beautiful, amazing, um, courageous and confident women that have, you know, fought their own battles and are taking HRT. And I've learned so much from every single one of them. Um, I think I'm going to be brutally honest. In the very beginning, HRT was an absolute no-no for me because of this fear that I'd got uh, in relation to cancer. Because... Again, you know, if we rewind to what I was saying at the beginning about, you know, my first impressions of menopause or I am one of those people that kind of all I'd heard about HRT was that it gives you breast cancer, you know, it's going to make you ill. So for me, that was off the table altogether in in the beginning, because why would I want to take something that's going to do that, you know? Um, And I think I went down a very much more kind of um, natural route because I started to see a homeopath and and I felt that helped. So um, I combined that with sort of learning yoga, taking up meditation. You know, I'm going to sound really woo-woo now, but all, all of that lovely stuff, which I really embraced. I love it. I love what it gives to me. I love how it makes me feel. Um, And then, you know, with the whole diet thing, running alongside that I suppose but I would never say never it has a plan I think my symptoms in particular the brain fog and the rage become so feel so insurmountable at times that I could see myself taking it you know to to try and alleviate some of that and also because you know there are many positives associated with it in some respects now well you know it's well documented I think you know the benefits that can have for your cardiovascular health and um your bones and osteoporosis and that kind of thing and also dementia which I never realized was one of the biggest female killers you know as we age so um yeah there are a number of sort of real benefits that are attached to taking it as well so I think it's definitely something that the older I get the more I think about it but it's it's so good to know it's there as an option as and when you know I might feel that the time's right I don't know Mm. Mm. and what about with your with your friends with your um your contemporaries do Mm -hmm. you talk do you talk about perimenopause and menopause and I'm I'm like the boring bitch that everybody speaks to. Uh, do you know? What? They all know what I do on Instagram. So you turn into a bit of you know, like every yeah. It is one of those where I think people feel safe and comfortable talking to me about it because they know that I talk about it on Instagram. You know, yeah. and which is lovely. I love that because I just think there are still some of them that get hideously embarrassed if you try and talk about periods you know what you're trying oh they don't want to know you know um and um so you know I'd say it's probably sort of 70 30 I've got sort of a couple of really close friends that take HRT and they've been really good at sort of talking to me about their personal experiences how they found it and it's been interesting to watch their journeys in terms of you know learning to or having to try and balance you know their levels kind of going back to the GP and whether they're supported or they don't feel supported by their doctor's surgeries and um so it's it's interesting I think it's definitely got I think for me you know the biggest conversations really need to be placed uh, you know certainly where I work I mean I'm blessed to share my office um with a lovely colleague of mine who's a similar age to me and we're sort of very alike in a lot of ways and we talk about it all the time um and I hope she won't mind me saying because I'm not saying her name but she takes HRT and I don't so we have lots of sort of discussion around that um and it's interesting how other people will come into our office sometimes and just make random comments you know and we'll be like oh that's your age that's the menopause do you know what I mean and you can see them sort of go oh oh you know and that they don't want to have that conversation and off they pop and I do that, think that happens it's like you can see it once you are alive to all of what menopause can be or some of what menopause can be you can see it clearly in other people but it become but the stigma in some in the general population is still so strong mm-hmm. that if you say oh it's probably perimenopause you're fine that that will actually tip them into a flat panic yeah I think you're absolutely right because again I just think it's this whole concept isn't it that 
you know, because the terminology around menopause is that menopause is actually like the point of your final period. That's menopause, you know, uh, that, that's the definition of it, I think. And anything before that, that's perimenopause. But I think it's still such an unknown kind of quantity or term, so many that, as you say, it's just kind of like, what you know, when you try and they don't want to have that conversation. They just Why think, well, not? What's that about? I don't know. I don't know. I think is that about what is that about? I mean, I think it's just historic stories, isn't it? I think it is. We're kind of just. It's not something I would have spoken to my mum about. You know, she never talked to me about it. And I mean, I just think it's a generational thing. In as much as yes, my mum had a book on the bookshelf, but you know, the single the single thing of my mum. You know, later, obviously, it's come out in subsequent conversations. Obviously, my mum's a lot more open with me now. But if I think about how my mum was when she was my age, I was in my early 20s at that point. I had no idea, you know, apart from there was one occasion where I'd gone to my parents' house for dinner and um, my dad had tried to make a joke at my mum's expense as she'd walked in and sat down to the table and she burst into tears and then got up and had to leave the table. And I just remember feeling so confused because I was like, what the hell's going on here? Because my mum and dad don't argue, do you know what I mean? They just, they've got such a great relationship and all he'd done was sort of poker a little bit in terms of taking the mickey. And it was the kind of thing that they did all the time. And my mum just burst into tears as though it was the most offensive thing ever and then got up and went out. And I remember sitting there and just sort of thinking, what? And we were all looking at each other like, what the hell's going on here? You know, but she came back and it was there was never any conversation about that or discussion afterwards. It's only looking back, you go, oh, well, I know what that was now because that's me, you know, I'm doing that all the time. But yeah, I don't know. And I think that's, you know, something definitely I've got two daughters and I think I I feel very strongly, I don't lie to them. Do you know what I mean? If I hormonally all over the place which is a regular occurrence and I'm crying because I don't even know what I'm crying sometimes but if I'm upset and feeling a certain way I'm very open about the fact that you know what I can't rationalize it I can't explain it to you there's not really a reason I just feel sad right now or you know and that's okay so I hope I hope that when it gets to be them you know they'll they'll bear that in mind and they'll go through their adult life doing that it's okay to feel up and down like yeah, that. I think, and- I think that 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 is such great role modeling. It's just such great mo- role modeling, which we, we, our generation mostly didn't have because, well, I think it's an, Eng- I think it's an English middle-class thing. <laughs> and I think, I think that emotion and feeling were hidden and, you know, like your mum, was taken out of the room yeah. and so for for our for our kids to say I'm really upset I just I just need to express this now and I'll be okay later and but I think I, f- I feel quite strongly about that in my work as well though you know because for every child that sort of oh I've got anxiety I've got that you know I've got that and you just think again it goes back that far though we don't educate girls enough I don't think about periods and hormones and what that means do you know what I mean because again it's this whole sort of just saying that's normal that's okay you know you're going to feel up and you're going to feel down let's look at where you are in your cycle and I think maybe then it's self-explanatory you can you can understand why because this is what's going on inside your body at the moment and actually you know when we're teenagers we don't listen to anybody about what we eat and we're off on the sugar roller coaster and we're feeding ourselves crap and we don't move enough and we don't get enough sleep and it's kind of that impacts on you know how you're going to feel as a girl turning into a woman at certain times of the month you know and I just think we don't talk to girls about that enough and if we did I think it might be different you know when they reach our age but it is changing and that's a positive you know but I just think there are plenty more conversations to be had and as you say just normalizing it really there's a difference between what's normal and what's not normal you know and I think too many people view what I would say is normal as not normal and actually you know that's what needs to change really. I'm really interested in this topic because I have teenage kids and what I see in their peer group is that they're much more assertive than I ever was mm-hmm. their kind of self-confidence is really strong you know they're they're all feminists 
you know, mm-hmm. in the best sense of the word, in the sense of which for me means in, in the sense of accepting themselves. And that includes periods and body stuff, which was always coated in shame when I was a teenager. But yeah. at the same time, they hate themselves. <laughs> they hate, they're constantly questioning their appearance. Do you think that social media has got a lot to do with that, though? Because they're just like, bombarding. <laughs> like, yeah. they're like, yeah. you know, they're face-to-face with curated, managed images mm-hmm. for f- five hours a day. Yeah, that's it. There's no, there's no switch-off, is there? You know, unless they're very good at moderating their online activity, as you like, say. Like teenagers are so great at moderating, right? <laughs> Thing, isn't it it's it's an explosive cocktail but we yeah. you know this to all of this and yet it's just someone should flick a worldwide switch at like eight o'clock at night and just go it's all going off now so you've all got to go and just else for that you yeah. know because it, it is not constructive it's not helpful at all as you say in terms of body image it's mm. you know it can be so destructive and it's so powerful and I don't really know what the answer to that is if I'm honest you know because mm. you have to kind of assume or hope that the majority of teenagers you know have strong role models at home and you know parents that are parenting them I suppose in some respects but that's not always the case so it's you know I mean you know the luck that's okay for the lucky ones yeah but that's it isn't it you know and why should that be okay it's not okay you know but it is it's yeah the, the, a lot of the social media sites I think could do a lot lot more really you know um because it's just it's the vastness of it is so much more, isn't it, than it ever was when we were teenagers because then it was sort of like Jackie magazine and more magazine. That was, you know, <laughs> and kind of, that was it really, wasn't it? You know, you didn't have yeah. podcasts, you didn't have social media sites and you did, you know, it's just mm-hmm. relentless, you know, and that can be amazing in some respects, but also just so completely detrimental in others, I think. Mm. have you have you seen um a shift in the kids that you you look after over the years uh if you want an honest answer to that question I think that um <laughs> it it's not getting any better let's put it that way and I don't think lockdown has helped really because I yeah. think you know, unfortunately if we cannot connect in person we're going to seek those connections online and that's where you know too many teenagers have got drawn into so much in terms of reliance on their phone and social media usage and if they weren't already before you know I mean yeah I don't think lockdown's done done society any favors in that regard and it just perpetuates sort of personal anxiety but also it makes it incredibly difficult sometimes for them to interact with each other and with other people face to face because it's 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 clear that they've lost a period of time where that wasn't possible and I do think it's affected a lot of a lot of teenagers in terms of their emotional development and their social skills and their ability to regulate their emotions yeah definitely and it I think it I think it's particularly damaging for girls of who were 14 15 in in that lockdown period Mm-hmm. Because there's something so kind of sensitive and um, so vulnerable to being told how to be. You know, this is how you are as a human or a girl or a person. This is how you. This is how to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that and it all that, goes in. Yeah, and as an age, I mean, that's such a huge sort of transformational age mm. on so many levels for girls. That, as you say, you know, it's it's like watering a plant, isn't it? But you want that water to be pure and for it to be so that they can blossom and be, be the best flower ever. But if you don't give them clean water, I know this is a rubbish analogy, but you get where I'm going, don't you? Yeah. If 
kind of you know it's I just think it's sort of a really crucial time for a lot of girls that age in terms of their development and it can very much sort of send them one way or send them the other depending on you know all sorts of factors in terms of what they're exposed to who their role models are you know the boundaries that are put in place sort of across the board um that yeah fundamentally I think there there will be a generation that really struggles perhaps in part as adults for sure because of you know the things they've experienced yeah. in the last yeah. couple of years. Let alone the toddlers, who are not, yeah. I mean, they, they might have done quite well actually because their parents were at home. It depends, doesn't it? It's so hard to say. I think from yeah. a developmental angle, you know, the impact. Mm. It, it's quite worrying because I think in yeah. many respects, yeah, it won't be seen for years to come. Will yeah. really? So we can all sort of prophesize or theorize on kind of why or what might happen but I think it'd be really it will be interesting to see how it plays out and I mean that you know for, for all the negative obviously there are a lot of children that have very you know sort of good resilient skills and coping strategies and they might come through it relatively unscathed so you know but it yes for sure it's going to affect some people I think definitely mm. and there were many who were unhappy at school who had you know, were just like who were bullied or, you know, having bullying scenarios or, and or difficult, challenging scenarios who were like, oh my God, I'm so relieved. <laughs> but that but that we've seen as well, I think, you know, that there is an increase in kids that are struggling to come into school because as you say, they've got used to being, you know, off routine on that, even though, I mean, obviously their lessons were still being given online. So there was an element of you do still have to do your schoolwork. But as you say, you know, it's a lot more relaxing if you can join a Zoom in your pajamas from your bedroom and then hot footed downstairs and get a bowl of cereal and a chocolate biscuit when you feel like it. And, you know, you've got your safe people around you and you can keep, as you say, you know, the negative aspects of school at bay. So it, yeah. So what what sort of what sort of menopause do you think these these teenagers are going to have? Do you think it's going to be easier? Do you think that in thirty is that right? Yeah, in thirty thirty years time, hmm. it's just going to be normal. They're going to go. Oh, I'm not going mad. This is Let's normal. Hope so. I think that would be one. Toes crossed. Everything crossed. You know what? I just think that if that that would be like the that would be the nirvana wouldn't it you know I just think that would be the that would be the greatest kind of outcome I think you, you know again that word normal for it to just be normal for it to be on the curriculum for it to be a stage of life you know that they're accepting and educated and empowered and um you know they don't fear it they understand it the information is readily available you know to boys as well as girls because let's not forget the boys are going to grow into men that are going to marry menopausal women you know and and they need to understand it so that it doesn't cause you know sort of horrific wedges in relationships and divides because it can be really destructive I think if you've not got a level of understanding um from your partner so yeah you know if the education is better and the awareness is better and you know the doctors are better trained and you know because there's still such huge disparity you know and such a lottery in terms of where you live and who you've got access to as to kind you know the kind of treatment that you might get and I mean it's just shocking that some women are paying you know to get private time because that's unfortunately you know where we're at with the NHS at the moment so I just think you know that there are changes going through in terms of obviously the level of education that our doctors are getting and that's got to be a good thing and you'd like to hope that if you think 30 years ago was what 19 oh god 1990 was it really 1990 I was about to go 1980 it's not is it 1980 40 years ago my god um so yeah I suppose if you think that you know the changes that have probably taken place sort of since 1980 and now we're talking another 30 I'd like to hope that it's pretty significant and that yeah women you know women just they kind of breeze through it perhaps a bit more than a bit more than we do or at least with a, a greater level of awareness and understanding maybe I hope so too yeah. I, I wanted to ask you about how come how you came to set up your Instagram views I, I really like it there's a lot of kind of slightly worthy or preachy or strident kind of 
um, profiles that talk about menopause, but you make me laugh and you're very oh, real. So yeah. how, how did you come to Seth? Because that was quite a bold move, I think I thought. Do you know what that that now that is something that was more or less born out of the original lockdown because I started to so I've always loved writing but that was something that I kind of I never took anywhere I never did anything with but I've always loved language and kind of creativity with language and I think probably well it's got to be about two years ago now I thought I, I know what I want to do like miss the boat completely that I want to write a blog so I mean way after obviously the whole blog thing was like really big I was like I want to write a blog um but I felt really strongly at the time that I just wanted to share these early experiences I'd had in terms of how I'd felt and what I was doing to help myself I didn't really have any there was no more to it than that no plan no kind of you know so that's what I did I set up a really basic WordPress site and I just hammered out all of these blog posts occasionally and I loved doing it but it became very clear that it was just there in the ether and nobody knew it was there and therefore wasn't reading (laughs) so um Instagram kind of you know seemed a logical way to me to be able to just sort of point people to the blog Uh, So that was my initial kind of, and up until that point, I have to make it really clear that I was crap at social media. I hate Facebook with a passion. I really have never got into Facebook at all. And I had a Instagram account, but it was a personal one. So I used to put things on there occasionally just for kind of my friends and family to see. And I thought, oh, I could do this. I could have, you know, I could maybe do an Instagram account and then that would sort of promote or send people to the blog. But I think, and I did that, I think probably the January before we went into that first lockdown and I posted a few things that were very random and ad hoc. And um, and then it kind of just became, it gave me a bit of a focus, I think, because early on in that original lockdown, again, whilst we were working, we weren't really, we weren't working in the sense that we were nose to a computer eight hours a day like we would have been at work because the lessons were still very ad hoc and up in the air and we were all trying to work out how we were going to work remotely so it gave me a little bit of something to do and I think very quickly it became apparent that you know I'd got in my head that Instagram was sort of the cheeky little sister to the blog but then actually I felt like after about I don't know almost a year of writing like a monthly post for the blog I kind of felt like what I was doing every day on Instagram was writing the equivalent of a mini blog every day you know and I just felt a bit like what's the point in doing these two things you know um because actually everything I want to say now I can say on Instagram and I suppose I didn't really have that confidence maybe when I set it up in the beginning but I had a very clear sense of you know what I wanted to talk about on there and I'd met so many it sounds stupid to say met doesn't it but you know I'd been connected with all of these other lovely ladies on there and kind of we were all sort of banging the same drum and talking about the same thing and it it just kind of yeah that took off more than obviously the blog did and uh, and then I sort of stopped writing on the blog and just sort of concentrated on what I was posting on Instagram and I've I've literally only just taken the blog down I mean I hadn't added anything to it I think for almost a year but I've literally just taken it down because I'm going to look at doing something a bit more formal I think it's a website now but yeah so that that's how I got to Instagram um your handle your handle is mood swings and other things mood swings and other things yeah I didn't don't ask me where that came from I have absolutely no idea I just like the fact that it rhymed in the beginning and I thought well I am a moody bitch so actually that's you know that's that's the one for me you know um so yeah mood mood swings and other things you have the well you promised us some ranting you haven't been ranting I have been where's the rant hey I'm sorry I'm sorry you know what I think it's just been really but I'll leave this you see feeling really uplifted because it's been a positive chat because if at least if I'm ranting you see then I go away in a very negative frame of mind and that's not good for me at this time in my life so I'm going to thank you for keeping me on a high vibe you're welcome I'm I I'm kind of like the Pollyanna (laughs) the annoying Pollyanna well I'm just glad that I have legs you know I love that. We all need a bit of that. I think it well, I think it's really important 
because as a just as a counteraction, a, a counteraction to the contemporary vibe, which is panic, fear, and just generally losing our shit because we we're, we're not twenty. They're default. As a surprise, I'm not twenty anymore. Well, thank fuck for that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We need to be more like that. You know, that's the thing. That fuck. <laughs> thank fuck for that. I think yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I think that's my role. I think that's 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 what I do. Yeah, okay. but that's the world needs more people like that. I think at the end of the day, yeah. it, it's definitely about perspective, isn't it? You know, mm. so. To close, can you give me your tippiest top tip for a happy inside life, please? Or oh, your face mm. is a picture. <laughs> <laughs> Did I just go, oh, God, she's you went, crumpled. Oh, no. You crumpled like a sheet of paper landing in the bin. <laughs> you know what? No, I think if I could give you a top tip, it would be to read The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle because actually it will it will open you'll either get it or you won't I will say that because actually very evangelically I bought loads of copies of it after I'd read it and gave it out to everybody that I knew it was like must read and I have to say that probably at least 50% of them just thought it was didn't get it and we're just like what you know um but I just think if I could if I could implore with anybody to do anything it'd be that because actually what that will illustrate for you is we get so bound up and caught up in kind of what we think we are and what we think we're in charge of. And actually that book to me makes it very clear what we are and what we can control and what we can't control. And therefore actually there's a sense of release attached to that, which I think, you know, we can all live a, a, a much, we can live in a much more mindful, less stressy way if we take some of that on board, I think. Thank you. Do I sound a bit preachy? Sorry. Not in the least. You can find Charlotte at moodswings underscore and underscore other things on Instagram. And if you look at the show notes, you'll find a few things that I thought you would be interested in about the Linden Method, about PMDD and the power of now. I'd love to know what what do you wish that you could tell your 38 year old self if you went back in time to talk to yourself about what perimenopause might be like? What kind, What would you say? How would you prepare yourself? I'd love to know. Come and tell me at Kate underscore Codrington over at Instagram. Great to see you there. And if you found some comfort or helpful information here, then please share it with a friend. The more we speak up and share information about our real life lived experiences, as messy as they are, the more we can help each other as well as ourselves. I'm looking forward to sharing another hour or so with you with more Inside Worlds very soon. Bye.